Hello and welcome to the Intentional Clinician Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Krauss, licensed professional counselor. In today's episode, my special guest, Joshua Nave, licensed master of social work, is going to be talking to me about power, abuse, and control, both in domestic violence situations, but also cultural entities, organizations, and society as a whole. We're going to be talking about all of these tactics, what to do, um, what the types of abuse are, cultural considerations, and also how to reclaim one's voice. Now, if you're in an emergency, you must dial 911 right now. And if you're not sure and you are in some type of crisis, call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-7233. Or go online to chat at www.thehotline.org. Joshua Nave, licensed master of social work, is a therapist in Grand Rapids, Michigan that offers trauma-informed talk therapy and EMDR therapy services to people suffering from anxiety, trauma, and other things. He also offers online therapy to people across the state of Michigan. Joshua has been offering specialized trauma and anxiety services for over four years to a diverse community of individuals and seeks to offer healing to all people. His therapy approach focuses on integrating his clients' beliefs, cultural and family history, and unique story into the therapy approach in order to accurately help the whole person. Joshua is interested in helping any individual, regardless of race or background, overcome their own trauma, accessorial trauma, or simply their anxiety about life in order to obtain the better life they want. Joshua is EMDR Level 2 certified with over five years of experience in the field of social work and therapy. Joshua also possesses experience working with a variety of populations, including members of the LGBTQ and the BIPOC community. If you're looking for therapy, you can check out his website, which will be in the show notes at www.healthforlifegr.com or call the office 616-200-4433, and he accepts most insurance plans. All right, now let's get to the interview. Welcome to the podcast, Joshua Nave, licensed Master of Social Work. I'm glad to have you on today. Glad to be here, Paul. Thank you very much. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. And so today's episode, we're going to be talking about a lot of different things, um, both in the micro and the macro, but we're going to be definitely covering power and abuse. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I guess let's start out. Why do we need to cover power and abuse in a podcast? At least in my opinion of the matter, right? Like, generally speaking, from what I've seen from clients and things we've worked with, there are a few things quite like power and uh, specifically the abuse of power that can strip someone of their ability to really chart the direction of their own life um, and ultimately, like, you know, have control over their own lives, right? So, especially nowadays with where society's going, uh, the impact, the struggle, the stress that our culture is facing right now, it, at least in my eyes as clinician, we've been seeing an increase of people coming into the center and services who have experienced some kind of abuse in their life. So, okay. Well, I think that's a good reason. So, um, oftentimes, uh, people, when they think about abuse, they sort of just put it in a category like, oh, well, those are just, it's just domestic abusers that do this. These are just people that do this. But I think there's a lot of different types of abuse that happen. Mm-hmm. And the reason we bring power into it is oftentimes 
the reason somebody does abuse somebody is to maintain control or power mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. over somebody. So maybe let's just start with the basics of abuse between two people. Can we talk about kind of the domestic violence realm? So let's start mm-hmm. there, maybe physical abuse. What's that about? Yeah, sure. So again, like domestic violence, uh, physical abuse is probably the one that we're all most familiar with hearing about, right? This is ultimately where generally an intimate relationship, a home life, a family structure, you're going to see one partner, often the male, uh, though it could also be the female in the relationship. Basically, the individual who has the power of the relationship will often use that power in a physical way to harm, strike, to um, maybe manipulate or like cause maybe even, you know, again, part of that whole thing, sexual abuse too, in that domestic violence situation to take the control from their partner and ultimately control the relationship. And basically control the relationship, and oftentimes that's based out of fear or a habit or something else. But it's, it is we, as a society, say this is wrong, that in a relationship there needs to be shared power and mm-hmm. control, and people have to be able to have their own autonomy even within a relationship. Mm-hmm. But oftentimes people have been taught values um, that are contrary to kind of what I would say the our current society's state and uh, law enforcement says is appropriate. So, for instance, in a fight between two people, there might be an argument, and it might get escalated, which is quite normal for couples right. to have an argument where they might... Mm, healthy fights. Yeah, they might argue and raise their voice, but what's not normal is when mm. one of the partners pushes or grabs or... Uh, punches or hits Mm -hmm. and you know says these sort of things now if it was just as simple as that you'd say well well all the obviously the right thing to do is to call the police and have the person arrested and prosecute them and then leave the relationship Mm -hmm. but we often see that in the cycle of abuse Mm -hmm. uh, people don't because they have a positive association with the person Mm -hmm. usually from the beginning or the honeymoon portion of the relationship Mm -hmm. and then the uh, what happens is tension grows, and maybe that person wants to do something or hang out with somebody or make a financial decision that the other person doesn't agree with, and mm-hmm. in the argument, the other person goes what we would call over the line and hits them or causes them physical harm. And you said off in the male, and that's often the case, but it can also be a female or mm-hmm. depending on what type of relationship we're talking about, and that instills fear. But it also instills like a feeling of being trapped mm-hmm. because now this person has not given me a fair uh, arguing stage. Now they're taking it to the physical level. But yet oftentimes when people are caught mm-hmm. beating somebody, they'll say, oh, it was just this one time I lost my temper. I'm just so angry. I just didn't mean to. And please love me. And then the person feels like, okay, I've got to take them back. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes, I would say they don't really have a problem with anger management because Mm -hmm. if they're at a job Mm -hmm. and all day long they don't punch their boss Mm -hmm. or they don't punch a coworker, but Mm -hmm. yet they go home and punch their girlfriend, Mm -hmm. then clearly this isn't about anger. It's Mm -hmm. about controlling the partner. And usually there underlies a lack of communication and a lack of healthy communication Mm -hmm. to be able to get through difficult conversations Mm -hmm. with uh, appropriate attachment, and thus one person tries to dominate the other. So what are your thoughts about physical abuse and and relationships? Yeah, like on the baseline of it, I'm going to kind of maybe go into that a little bit. One of our talking points is going to be at some point, might as well even kind of get get into it now really, but 
kind of people go about trying to do abuse, right? And honestly, it's a lot in what you're talking about right here. Like, we're looking at individuals who generally, like, they're going to struggle to communicate their points. They often feel powerless themselves. Uh, maybe they've been victimized in their own life. Uh, sometimes it can be individuals who are suffering from, you know, heavy, heavy doses of narcissism, right? Effectively, these are individuals that generally internally, right, feel very weak, very powerless. And so when that comes out in a relationship, again, generally speaking, these people are going to use that physical capabilities, their arms, their power, uh, the environment around them, frying pans, you know, they're going to use basically what they have at their disposal to exert their power over their partners. And a lot of times too, right, that's going to come off kind of as you were mentioning, right, there's that talk of, oh, it didn't happen too often, didn't happen this, and I was just angry and I couldn't control. A lot of these individuals believe that they are actually the victim in the matters, and that's going to come to a popular term that we're throwing around in culture nowadays, that gaslighting, right? These individuals, again, in their own mind, believe that I never would have done this if you had just done these things, right? And that heavily pushes them to not only be the abuser, but often convince the victims that ultimately you were the reason this took place in the first place. And a lot of victims of abuse end up feeding into that cycle, that that belief. Because again, your abuser is generally not always a horrible person. A lot of times they can be funny, they can be sweet, they can be kind, they can be loving, right? And this is, we're going to talk a little bit more at some point about the abuse cycle. Part of the whole problem with making it difficult to leave abusive situations, even if it is as straightforward as we'd say physical abuse, one where it's like, we can all say, oh, he hit you, that's bad, right? Um, again, just so people understand, I'm going to be using the gender term he quite often in here to just reference the abuser. It's mostly what most of our uh, work and evidence we have written about abuse is currently written in. So again, try to use this term interchangeably. It could be they, it could be she, it could be anyone, right? Very good. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, um, that's a good point. So oftentimes people that abuse, whether it be physical, emotional, sexual, financial, digital, stalking, or even on the macro level, if they're a person in power, such mm -hmm. as in the government, they staunchly believe they're the victim. Mm -hmm. Because in psychology, we found that people don't really think they're ever doing the wrong thing. Nope. We have this power of ration, uh, rationalization. We have implicit bias. Mm -hmm. Um, where we, you know, are biased based on our viewpoints. We have, a, a lot of people have a, a difficulty having empathy for others and mm -hmm. empathy for people that are not like them. Mm -hmm. um, and they feel entitled. Uh, and it could be based on their attachment style with their parents. It could be based on history. It could be based on where they were raised or what messages they're getting culturally. But they actually believe that they were forced to hit you yeah. or forced to emotionally scream at you yeah. or forced to sexually manipulate you or forced to take the money mm -hmm. or forced to uh, stalk you digitally mm -hmm. or because you won't do X what they want, mm -hmm. which we see that as the opposite of intimacy mm -hmm. because intimacy means that we are both giving up some of our defenses to come together in a relationship where we are open to the other person's perspective and also trying to find a way to to act as a couple that is not destructive towards one of us or the other. Mm -hmm. And that engages a lot of communication and it takes a lot of vulnerability. Mm -hmm. But people that abuse, they don't often like vulnerability. Mm -hmm. They want to be the person in control. And so this has happened. And even culturally, I think even in the last 40 years, this used to be something I'd heard in movies, which is, 
what did you do to make him do that to you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Pretty common or, term, yeah. Right. Or you know that boys, uh, like, this is a terrible toxic thing that parents tell their daughters. Oh, there's a boy picking on you at lunchtime at the recess? That means he likes you. Yeah. That is the most terrible he idea to ever say to a little know girl. know how to use his words. Right. He has to pull your hair. That's the only way. He right. can express or, himself. Right. He's a, he's a, Or vice versa. So it, it, it lets, it, you know, traditionally males off the hook for bad behavior because, you know, statistically they're more aggressive. Um, because of possibly testosterone. Probably testosterone. Um, and so, but that, you know, I think that sells males short. I do think that males have a great capacity for empathy mm-hmm. and emotions and communication and uh, learning to have intimacy with a partner, whether it be male or female or they or other. But oftentimes I think that we know it's the shortcut to use violence. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's an easy way to get things done, but it doesn't mean it's long-term not going to have terrible side effects. Yeah, a lot of, again, I'll go on that point real quick. Like, I've got a background in infant-toddler mental health, right? Like, anyone who's ever been around children, any parent out there understands the, you know, the basic, hopefully has been through the situation of, you know, I'll use the example, Bobby. Bobby gets upset. Bobby's angry. You've taken his toy. Bobby swings his fist, right? Bob, like, it's secondhand nature effectively for a kid any child right to generally resort to some kind of physical aggression when their way isn't being met so a lot of times we see in these abusers they are kind of stuck in that infantile space i've never learned how to move past getting my way without physical abuse without this abuse without this abuse and they use that like kids do basically so perhaps from a trauma-informed perspective Mm -hmm. they their parenting or growing up situation did not provide them with enough enough incentives to solve things with words and they didn't have enough consequences or negative results from using violence and therefore they move into a relationship and when they are escalated because most of these things happen when people are emotionally escalated they're not in their calm state they're in a sympathetic Mm -hmm. nervous system state and then they act out and so some people feel powerless over Mm -hmm. that but we're only powerless if we don't have the tools to communicate and we are listening only through our lens and we aren't really listening to the other person we Mm -hmm. want what we want that's Mm -hmm. inflexibility Mm -hmm. and then we then the abuser may think i can get my way by essentially being a terrorist you're terrorizing the person by hitting them but it's not just hitting yeah. So some people have said, and this is, I heard this on a domestic uh, violence podcast. Some people have said uh, physical abuse is terrible, but it was infre- it was more infrequent. But what was happening every day mm-hmm. was emotional abuse. Mm-hmm. So can you tell us a little bit about emotional abuse? What is that? Yeah. So emotional abuse really, again, like putting it simple to start with, and we can get in more detail from there is literally trying to use one's emotions to cause harm to another, right? Think of it again, if I'm swinging my fist to cause harm to you, that's going to make you listen. Well, I'm going to use words that I know are going to tear down your self-esteem. I'm going to tear down your self-image, right? These could be examples of backhanded compliments, like, um, you know, like, wow, like that dress looks good on even you, right? Uh, perfect example of a compliment that leaves you kind of standing there going, oh, did they insult me? Did they just compliment? I'm a little confused here. Constant reminders of maybe, you know, saying you're not good enough for this. Remember, you're not like other people. You're not smart enough. You're not that. Basically, emotional abuse is the, the daily regular tool that an abuser is going to utilize 
again, to keep you in the relationship. Again, a lot of abusers are going to use this to tear you down on a daily basis before I ever need to hit you until you start believing you're right. I'm awful. I'm not that great. I'm actually kind of maybe even, you know, a little blessed that my abuser is with me because I'm pretty awful and no one else would be with me. Right. So that that not only keeps the person in the relationship with control, but I actually think the abuser's motive goes beyond just keeping them in the relationship, beyond codependence. I think it actually goes to, I want this, I want this person to stay the same way I want them. So I want them to do something mm. for me. I want them to give me sex the way I want it. Mm. I want them to uh, give dress me food yeah. or dress the way I want and talk to who I want. Mm. And uh, therefore, um, I can't I can't really see them as a whole person. I objectify them in mm. some way. And, you know, playing mind games with them, humiliating them, making them feel guilty, calling them names, mm-hmm. but then apologizing. So it's like a back and forth, kind of like playing ping pong. Like yeah. one moment I'm I'm putting you down, the next moment I'm building you up so that you're, you're sort of, you're using, and this is kind of crazy, but if we go trauma-informed completely, um, people bond during times of great stress. Yeah. So during times of great stress, like war, soldiers will bond together and feel this bond. Yeah. But just like that, an abuser can use the stress that they're inflicting on you mm-hmm. and then flip it into a I love you mm-hmm. moment to make the person who they're abusing bond to them emotionally because you have heightened adrenaline. But then if you move into physical affection, you have oxytocin. Mm-hmm. And making those sort of memories together. Yeah. Um, another part of emotional abuse is intimidation. Mm. So making somebody afraid by using looks, actions, or gestures, smashing things around the house, destroying their property, abusing pets, displaying weapons. Um, even if you say, well, I'm not going to hurt you, but mm-hmm. this is you're making me angry. You're making me break our dishes, yeah. right? Coercion or threats. I'm going to report you. I'm going to put you in the hospital. I'm going to tell your mom about this. I'm going to tell your dad about this. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill myself if you leave. Mm-hmm. I'm going to. I'm going to complete suicide. Um, you need to do this illegal thing for me. You need to take drugs to somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, using children. If there's children involved, um, you're the worst parent ever. I'm going to call CPS on you. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to take the children away if you if you leave me. I'm going to pay off uh, this lawyer to make sure you never see your children again. Yeah, classic. You're wrecking our family. Right. And even further controlling somebody by saying, you know, I don't want you to talk to that girlfriend. She's a bad influence on you. Uh, Don't read those sort of books. That's bullshit. You don't look at, don't watch uh, shows like Oprah. Don't watch self-empowerment shows. Basically trying to isolate the person from anyone who would tell them otherwise. Right. And doing it in such a way that it starts out slow. It doesn't usually explode because in the first part of the relationship, there's got to be these positive influences, Mm -hmm. these positive honeymoon period, we call it where the, the everything is so good. It's not like everything's always bad. It's just, mm-hmm. it's bad if you act out of line with what the controller wants you to do or what the abuser wants you to do. Yeah. Um, another one I've seen is, uh, well, we'll get to that one. So that that's kind of some of the emotional abuse. What are your thoughts about how emotional abuse affects somebody and, and more things around that line? Yeah, I, I'm going to go back to like kind of what you said when we started transitioning to this topic, right? The physical abuse wasn't, you know, Maybe like you know, a lot of us are going to be like a lot more shocked, a lot more afraid by the physical abuse. But honestly, it's the emotional abuse that is more of the insidious nature. It's the one that changes how I see myself, how I view myself, how I hold myself. Right? Now, use examples from millions of different clients I've worked with at this point. Right? Just 
the kind of concept of when I came into the relationship, I thought one way, I held myself in one standard, I had these beliefs about my capabilities, and by the end of the relationship, even now that I'm out of it, I feel like I'm worthless, I feel like I'm this, I feel like the things he says is true, and I don't know where my confidence went. And that goes with that, as Paul was kind of talking about, right? It's that slow, steady steps, like he's a loving, kind person, he just exploded violently, or, you know, emotionally was saying this about me, and afterwards he apologizes, you know, sweet, and goes, well, it's only because, you know, you make me so mad sometimes. That easy statement of turning the, you know, the whole problem on you, and you start to question, oh, right, he's, he's wonderful, he's good, he's kind, he's all these things. It must be something I did. I must have done something. I, that must have really agitated him. I need to change that. And they, that's, it's that steady stream, right? Like the one after another. You know, it's not like he sits down and has a list of 20 different things that he has a problem with. It's one small thing. Well, I just really don't like it when you do your hair like that. I'm like, well, okay, it's not that big of a deal if I change that, right? And then one after another. (laughs) I've even heard it in more of a subtle way uh, Mm -hmm. where um, the person goes, you're always so emotional. Mm -hmm. Don't be so emotional. If you weren't so emotional, then I wouldn't withdraw my affection. And if you weren't if you weren't so needy all the time, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be angry at you. Yeah. And you really are out of control, and people see that, and people don't like that, mm-hmm. when really that's called projection, mm-hmm. because oftentimes that same person is out of control emotionally. They're emotionally not sober, mm-hmm. and we call that a, a emotional sobriety is when you can maintain, um, you know, through difficult emotions, see emotions as states of being, be able to work through them, talk about mm-hmm. them, feel them. But oftentimes, the projection happens where Mm. somebody takes what they're feeling and puts it on the person that they're trying to control. And that is a very heavy theme I I think we see with people who are using abuse often, right? I have something inside of me. I don't know how to deal with it. I don't know how to cope with it. I have these beliefs. Again, baseline of I'm not good enough to keep someone in a relationship. So I'm going to constantly project that outward on my partner. If my partner realizes how awful they are, they won't leave me because internally i'm feeling like no one wants to stay with me very good point so that brings up the schema of what people believe relationships are Mm -hmm. so you know that all depends on your cultural lens how you were raised what you think what your fantasies are what your what you've seen in your life so oftentimes somebody like you're saying like the abuser the controller is Mm -hmm. going you know i don't feel good about myself i feel like a loser so why would they ever stay with me so i've got to put them down so they do stay with me but just like that they may have an idea that and that for lack of a better word that your role is to cook me food every day at six o'clock mm-hmm. is to not say anything rude and to give me sex whenever i want it and um don't complain and don't have emotions yeah. and they actually might think that that's how a relationship is supposed to yeah. go that one person serves the other and that's what happens maybe because their mother or their father served them or the culture at a whole culture or their messages they're getting from mm-hmm. cultural leaders or people they listen to and therefore the other person is going well my scheme of a relationship is that two people work together we come together we we have mutual things we both serve each other in different ways we both um, have positives we try to build each other up and the other person is not interested in that. Mm-hmm. And so that can cause there to be tension, which can lead to physical and emotional abuse. And then sexual abuse. Because mm-hmm. here's one of the things. Not only does the abuser may, the abuser may not even know that they're fully doing this. They just know that they're getting what they want. It's not like they sat down and plotted abuse. Yeah. Right? Again, like it's a very, again, I would say on a daily basis, Paul, how often do you have the 
average person that's really what intuitive and reflective of their self and now we're taking this concept of an abuser someone we're setting the stage for often is struggling with all these internal concepts of self-worth and loathing right it's going to be a rare day we actually meet someone and hopefully that's not the common abuser who is actively reflecting going yes i i feel awful about myself i'm going to actively do all these things most of them again like we said i'm the victim I would never be doing these things if they would just be what they're supposed to be, act how they were supposed to act, treat me how they were supposed to treat me. I've even heard uh, of a domestic abuse where it's like somebody said, when when you come home, when I come home from work, I need hot food and I need you to smile. So that's a rigid expectation Mm -hmm. of codependency on the other person to make them food and smile. And if Mm -hmm. something's off, then the other person gets punished by emotional or physical abuse. So let's let's make a quick note of that if you're all right with that. Like, again, as we talk through this, we're not saying like any of these. This is an important note, too, right? Like, how do you start to switch into, you know, becoming the, the abusee, the victim of this matter, right? A lot of these requests, right, like we're going to talk about them and we're going to say them in ways that like hopefully you guys can understand real quick. It's like, yeah, oh, I can't believe they're saying that. A lot of these requests aren't that terrifying requests, right? Like, hey, I'm tired. I'm exhausted. If you could have me some warm food when I get home, that'd be great, right? Like that's a perfectly reasonable request for anyone to make of any of their partners, especially in a relationship, right? It's the follow-up of what happens when the request isn't done. Or done to exact specificity. Yes, like, right? It's, this is the more thing. Like, and, and abusers are sometimes going to even come back, and it's done to the standard they want, and they'll still scream at you for it and still find a way that you've done something wrong and should have done better, right? Because that is all about the abuse cycle, right? Uh, on the baseline, it the simplest logic would be if we just did it exactly what they wanted, okay, they'll never get mad. But we see time and time again, people who are in abuse and control cycles, those abusers are seeking power. They're going to find a reason to take it out on you. If they had a bad day at work, they're going to come home and like, well, my father used to use the classic example, I can't do anything about my boss, but I can come home and I can kick the dog, right? Right. So I'm going to come home and you might, you've done all of it's perfect. You've done everything I've asked. I'm going to blame you for something. I'm going to take it out on you. And I'm just going to say again, like, if you could have just had it right. So not only is it control, but keeping the person in a power dynamic that is winning. Because Mm -hmm. let's just say the person comes home. They made the request for hot food and a smile. They had hot food and a smile. Yeah. And they go, oh, thank you so much. I feel closer to you. Intimacy starts, right? Now, that could happen. Yeah. But what if the person doesn't like intimacy? They want power. Yeah. They have this complex inside of them, the subconscious, perhaps. Mm-hmm. They aren't really reflective of it. And they go, well, how do I keep my power over this person? Because yeah. what if they leave me tomorrow? If I finally say good job, mm-hmm. they may decide they don't need to do it anymore. So I go, oh, my gosh, these potatoes were done wrong. Can't you ever cook potatoes? What is wrong with you? Yeah. Right? Or oh, I hate potatoes. Why did you put potatoes right. on this plate? You know I like rice. You Stop know this is Thursday. Potatoes. It's Thursday. Right. So... <laughs> It's these rigid kind of, and I would say selfish. Yeah, it's it's, it's a selfish whole, uh, whole point of power and control, right? right? It's all about me. I'm not doing it for someone else, right? I would uh, maybe I'm old school in this belief. I kind of think of often if you're loving someone, you are being selfless, right? So if you're thinking about having power and control over someone, think of it as the opposite of loving someone. Mm. It's all about me. So if I'm having power and control over somebody and deliberately, especially doing it, even if I'm subconsciously doing it deliberately, 
yeah, it is about me. It's what I want. It's not about a mutual interest. Yeah. So that's a good point. We're going to get into why people abuse and control soon, but I want to make sure we touch on some other ones. So sexual mm. abuse. Mm. Um, what is sexual abuse? Well, again, sexual abuse, I think the easiest way to define it is any unwanted, un-asked-for uh, physical contact, effectively, right? Um, it could be as something as small as someone putting their hand on your shoulder. When I didn't ask for that, I didn't want that, right? That's not something we discussed. And something as large as someone forcing themselves upon you, an intimate partner um, rape, we'd say, right? So... It could be, again, like, it could start off even just, like, the guy at your office who's always giving you that look and winking at you as you come by. Again, it's clearly not wanted, it's not deserved, it's not appropriate to the space, and yet there is that continued physical act that's being done against your will. Right, in a sexual way. Mm -hmm. And um, I definitely think that oftentimes sexual abuse starts out quite subtle. Mm -hmm. It's not, um, I mean, obviously there's the cases where somebody goes from zero to rape, Mm -hmm. but oftentimes sexual abuse is in a way clandestine and manipulative to the point where it's, the sexual, and the reason it's abuse is it's not consented to. Mm. And it's all about the one person's sexuality yeah. and not the others. Mm-hmm. So, so with that, um, that's a way of keeping somebody, you know, hostage in a relationship, um, and 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 therefore, obviously, can be very abusive. But then, obviously, um, I've heard it. You know, the gaslighting term again, mm-hmm. and the movie came from the movie Gaslight, where the guy was deliberately and trying to make his wife insane to get out of something. In the movie, you can go watch it's from like 1930 something, but um, essentially, it's trying to do something to somebody but make them think it's their fault. Mm-hmm. And so, for instance, in, in rape situations, I can I've you've heard all the excuses. I mean, luckily, the Me Too movement has sort of shown a, shine a light on that. But um, they say, well, I had to because you know how I get if I don't have sex within so many days, and Mm. you're the only sexual partner I have, so I have to have sex with you, and this is the way I want to have sex. And so it can be manipulative, too, as Mm. well as it can be unwanted, but it can also be, like, foisted upon by, like, arguing, which is emotional abuse Mm. and demanding, and then it can can become a combination of physical and sexual abuse. So um, any comments on that? I guess that's, like, the baseline of it where, like, Again, we've been trauma therapists for a while now, right? You, it's a. How often do you have someone coming in with just a single point of trauma? Never. <laughs> I mean, like I've met like maybe one guy that comes in. I'm like, wow, I'm I'm actually shocked. I'm like, we only have this to work on. That's surprising, shocking. Same thing with abuse, right? The abuse abusers have a toolbox of things under their belt. They are going to use several methods. It's not going to be just like walk in, slap you. And that's all he ever does, right? It's going to be emotional abuse. It's going to be this. It's going to be that. It, like they, they're going to use a variety of things. And then combine that with the positive things, mm-hmm. trying to do positive things to make up for it or to overly you know, commit to you and, and in, in odd ways promise things. So let's talk about financial abuse. So some of these methods are preventing your partner from getting a job or keeping a job. Um, making them ask you every time they want money, mm-hmm. uh, giving them a strict allowance instead of having access to all the funds, mm-hmm. taking their money um, and using it without their permission, um, not letting them know how to access the family income or accounts. We see this all the time. 
So in a lot of divorce situations, people will do what they call a forensic financial investigation, and they'll find that one of the people that was maybe in a more power and control role in the relationship has taken money slowly out of the family account and put it into some sort of other accounts. Um, I've heard of examples of people going to the grocery store and having to call their partner from the checkout line Mm -hmm. and saying, how much can I write this check for these groceries? Mm -hmm. And then transferring the money, basically starving them and then using all sorts of arguments. And that keeps them out of power and out of control because if you wanted to leave this person, Mm -hmm. you have no access to money. You may not have a job. What Mm -hmm. are your thoughts there? Yeah. I mean, again, like if we're talking about like even just – modern culture right now in America, right? Like, let's talk about rental rates. We're talking about home spaces in general, being able to find a new place to live. It is so costly to get a new place, right? And in a lot of these financial abuse situations, right? Like, again, the, you know, let's say credit history literally could have been in one individual's name for years now where you don't even have a credit score. So even if you you know, didn't have the money, you don't have any money, right? You can't even get an apartment, right? Or maybe you have enough money, you literally can't get a place to stay, right? So if we're looking about even kind of just culturally where we're speaking, we're at as a society right now, financial abuse is almost one of the strongest ways, a part, you know, an abuser has to keep someone trapped within the relationship. There's nowhere for you to go. If they've done their job right and they've isolated you already from family, from friends, things like that, you literally may have no option to escape outside. Again, we're going to get into this, and there's going to be some references at the end here for, like, different shelters there are available, different programs, different hotlines. There are a lot of supports out there to help you get out. Just in the meantime, it may feel like I'm trapped. There's no way to escape this situation. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are ways out, and we will talk about those. Um, They'll be in the show notes, too. The domestic uh, violence abuse hotline will Mm -hmm. be in the show notes and there are local uh lines as well often people call those lines they program in their phone as a different name to make sure that they're hiding it there are actually secure chats on the internet that will not show up on your browser history as Mm -hmm. well for the domestic violence uh, hotline Uh, police can help you with that as well Mm -hmm. um and there are shelters for that that are specific they are not homeless shelters they are um shelters people that have been abused Mm -hmm. um digital Digital abuse. Thoughts on that? Mm-hmm. That's newer. Well, I'd say it's been around for a bit, but maybe the extent to which we see it hasn't been as widespread because, again, we're talking about our. I'm going to talk about our Gen Zers for a minute here, right? Our well, my younger siblings, right? Could could be your children, Paul, if you'd had some, right? <laughs> True. <laughs> <laughs> but we're talking about our Gen Zers, right? Like one of the um, you know big characteristics we're looking at with this generation is. Uh, I heard the one saying, being said, born with an iPhone in your hand, right? This is the age of the smartphone effectively, right? We are looking at a time, you know, worldwide in history now that we have more access to more information and more ability to, like, figure out what's going on with each other, talk about each other, connect with each other more than ever before, right? So digital abuse is literally just take the abuses we've just talked about and go with that. I can now, you know place a picture of you online. I can make a meme about you online. I can defame you to your boss online now. I can spread rumors instantly everywhere about you online. I can, and again, in many cases too, right? Again, I like to talk about the cultural context, right? We, you know, again, if we're looking to your or my generation, Paul, are not always adept at understanding what's true or false on the internet. We live in an age where someone can 
create a falsity about you where many people who are even close to you may believe to be true, might be denied jobs, may be denied this, just you know, simply with a photo or two. That's a good point. And um, not only can they do it in the way of posting about you or having a picture uh, for ransom, mm-hmm. but also I've heard in certain couples, they will take over all your passwords. Yeah. And so they will be able to see who you're talking to, where your location is. Um, they Pretend will to be have, you if they want. What's that? Pretend to be you. Pretend to want. be you. Yep. I was getting to that one. Yeah. And so just there's lots of ways that all of these things can be used digitally. Um, so I think there's plenty to say there, but we need to get into the other parts. So let's talk about the stalking. Um, what is stalking? Yeah, I mean, like, I, I hope we all know what stalking is sure. for now, right? Like, basically, right, we've got an individual with, you know, again, either one or two, right? An individual that is following you, um, checking in on you, uh, trying to learn more about your life, again, without your knowledge, right? To We'd go with an obsessive point, right? Well, hell, we could even do with the basics, right? I've heard college kids going like, oh, yeah, I'm just doing a little Facebook stalking right now just to see (laughs) how they're doing. And we laugh right now because hopefully we're all like, oh, okay, this seems less harmful, right? Right. The stalking we're talking about when it comes to abuse and power cycles are effectively there's such a deep dive into your life, and this could be digitally or physically, that they know your schedule, they know what you're doing, they know where you are, and again... A lot of abusers, when I use stalking to, if I know everything about your life, I have more power, the more ability to exert control over your life, right? Right, and I can intimidate you. So it's so. For instance, if I knew someone's schedule, I could show up and just be casually on the sidewalk or in a restaurant that they may be in, mm-hmm. and I, I might just start showing up in these places, not even saying anything to them. But that is obviously going to make somebody uncomfortable if they didn't want me there, yeah, right? Yeah. And how do I know they're there? Mm-hmm. And that can just be um, that's a way of intimidation. And it's a way to kind of use all of the ways that we've talked about um, people using power and control and abuse over people to control them. It's just another level, right? Because then it's like, am I crazy or did I just see them again, right? And and then how do I prove it to the police Mm -hmm. that this person is actually stalking me if they didn't like come ring my doorbell or something? Mm -hmm. They may just have been at the store every time I'm at the store. How do I prove that? So again, it's another thing that can make somebody psychologically paranoid. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, that's a good. I think that's a good uh, definition of the some of the types of abuse. Mm-hmm. So now we did talk. We've kind of touched on why do people do this, mm-hmm. but I think we should probably just kind of lay it out. There's there's more than we've got here of for reasons people do it, but the biggest reason we think people abuse, uh, according to what I've read in the literature, is mm-hmm. power and control. Mm-hmm. Um, and for different reasons, again, a lot of people that abuse believe they are the victim that they are uh, entitled to this, that it is their right, which is a lack of intimacy, and actually uh, smacks of narcissism. Maybe they are not actually narcissistic personality, but every child and teenager is egocentric. Oh, yeah. And and it's all about us because that is how we develop our sense of self. That's how we develop uh, our ability to keep ourselves safe. Mm -hmm. And it's a natural part of development for children to actually sort of act like narcissists. I will go with this, too, right? We've got to look into that cultural consideration, too, right? Right. Think of it like, again, right, like kind of like a, a... uh, sunglasses, right? Like we put on sunglasses, maybe my sunglasses are red, right? I've right. got a red tint to them. So everything I see is kind of got like a tint of red to them, right? Every culture gives you a different pair of sunglasses where we put on and it kind of colors our view in a certain way, right? This is America. And in America, this is the land of 
freedom, right? In America as the land of freedom, we are taught you can do whatever you want. You can be whatever you want. You can become anything you want, right? If we're looking at a spectrum, and everything is kind of running a spectrum, America falls very heavily on the spectrum of individualism, right? Versus collectivism, right? Oh, very far away, right? And so if we look at that, if we've got, as Paul said, a normal, healthy part of human development to be individualized in our adolescence, and then we say, okay, the sunglasses this person's already wearing is American, they are American, we're going to get some of the most narcissistic, individualized adolescents that come out of this world, really. I couldn't agree with you more about that. Um, and I think a lot of people don't even realize that they're teaching that, that individualism itself, while can be a good thing, because you can define yourself and be your own person, and, and it, you know, we often find it healthy to be able to underst- individuate from your family, meaning that you understand what your family's culture mm-hmm. is, you respect your family's culture, but maybe you don't exactly follow it exactly the way they did to kind of stop the cycle of power and abuse. Yeah. But it can also have a very toxic dark side, yeah. which is that everything is about me. I'm entitled. Mm-hmm. I can be anything I want. Um, other people's feelings don't matter. Other mm-hmm. people's belief systems don't matter. My belief system matters. My mm-hmm. The way I feel, my idea of truth matters. Mm-hmm. My culture is the dominant culture. Mm-hmm. And this belief system of egocentrism that extends past childhood mm-hmm. into adulthood is can be very violent, both emotionally um, and eventually physically, mm-hmm. um, especially digitally. You see it... Um, in right now there is bullying online so for instance somebody has an experience and they talk about it they talk about it online on tiktok or Mm. twitter or something and or somebody's in a movie or a musician makes a statement or a musician makes a song or somebody somebody breaks through in a different way then there's legions of anonymous online attackers who Mm. will make threats bully malign spread lies and this sort of thing is leaking all over our culture. And I do think it has um, has some roots in this sort of narcissistic my way or the highway mm-hmm. type uh, sort of cultural value that is sort of instilled through everything from uh, parenting to media mm-hmm. um, to just even the way politicians and people in churches talk, some yeah. churches. Thoughts. I would say several, well, probably several churches. Well, yeah. yeah, it does seem to. Again, I didn't want to stereotype everything. It's we would again. We're we're not we're trying generalizing. To stere- we're not trying to stereotype against a religion here. We're trying to take knowledge of a culture, right? The American and, culture, the United States. Yeah, right? and we don't. Again, I, I hope I mean, maybe maybe some of you out there have got a pretty good finger on the pulse of American culture, but. Part of American culture is not talking about American culture, not really even identifying that there is an American culture, right? Again, we call this the melting pot effect of America, right? Wherever you came from, it doesn't matter anymore. Whatever culture you were from, that's not part of it. You are now American. You are part of our system, right? It's a unique concept, right? I'm, I'm drifting a little bit. I'm not going to try to drift okay. too much here. The bit. culture talk always gets me going. But the point of this we're trying to make here is we look at this, right? And like Paul was saying, right, somebody posts online about their success, you're going to see a lot of abusers come out kind of like what we just talked about. I'm feeling internally less than, right? Right. Somebody has just posted their accomplishment online, and I see it and go, I am less than and then. I am not good enough again. Here's this person being successful. But again, I am not self-reflective. 
our, our generally, I'd say most cultures don't do a great job of teaching self-reflection. That's not a common thing I see in trends that happen, right? So if I am feeling this negative way, but it's not because I feel bad about myself or something like that, and I'm looking at this post, this thing that this this thing that this person did, clearly it's that person who's at fault. That's why I feel this way. So they must have cheated. They must have lied. They must have done something. They are this terrible person in this way, right? They're maybe they're just rich, right? Well, or we can go conspiracy. Oh, maybe yeah. they've made a deal with the devil. Maybe they're part of the quote or, Illuminati or Biden. Maybe, maybe they made a maybe they're part of the deep state, which doesn't exist. <laughs> they could have made it, yeah, Biden, okay. Trump, someone. <laughs> right, right. And so there, there is this sort of, you know, when when in times of stress, I actually read this article recently. In times of stress, there are mu- many more beliefs and conspiracy theories. Oh yeah, and this has been going back for thousands of years. This mm-hmm. is a long term study, but the one of the things we don't want to go into conspiracy theories completely, but that is one reason people will justify to abuse others yeah. and to even take the life of someone else yeah. because Which of happens. a theory that fits their viewpoint, and yeah. they can't evolve into a viewpoint of other people having the right to talk about their cultural belief system in the melting pot, to have different opinions in the melting pot. And that is the something we see why do people control and abuse because they have a belief in their rightness. Yeah. So righteousness is tied to anger. Oh yeah. Oftentimes when people are angry, they're angry because they feel as if they've been wronged mm-hmm. and they are right. Mm-hmm. And so can you touch a little bit about sort of the inflection point that we've been seeing lately with um, mostly, um, I would say mostly uh, verbal and online abuse currently, although there has mm-hmm. been examples, January 6th, for instance, mm-hmm. where people were so be- so convinced of their rightness that they committed crimes, uh, beat police officers, mm-hmm. uh, broke built, uh, windows, uh, trespassed, mm-hmm. um, made threats, um, you know, essentially it's attempting to overthrow uh, a government action. Yeah. Uh, tried to kill Mike Pence, mm-hmm. uh, the vice president of the United States. It's pretty serious stuff here yeah. because of a belief in their rightness. Yeah. Can you tell me about what, why do people believe they're right about things and get so into it that they will be willing to risk their freedom and actually democracy? Okay, so this is, uh, this is, it amuses me a little bit, right? I'll go with this, right? Like, if, you're sitting here listening to this podcast, and we've just Paul's just said these things, right? You're doing right. one of probably two, maybe three things, right? Either one, maybe you're you're the few who are just sitting here, kind of neutral, and be like, oh, let's see where they're going with this, right? Right. Most of you have probably felt away. You're like, bullshit! I ain't listening to this shit, and you're off of there. They already turned it off. Or you're like, yeah, hell yeah, they need to be tried, right? Some uh, something along those right. lines, right? You've already agreed in your mind whether or not we are speaking truth or not truth, right? Right. Falsities, right? Effectively, the concept of righteousness, right? And this is the easiest way I think I've boiled it down in my own head. We are kind of our own gods, effectively. That is what we've made ourselves as a culture. Again, I'm going to go back to that culture. The America, you can be anything, right? That's a lot of power to be anything, right? And that's, if we're looking at Not only be anything, you can do anything. I can do anything and be anything. I can be whatever I want. I can prove myself anyway. Yeah. I, I can do... Yeah, I can do anything, right? Like the bootstrap mentality, right? And if I'm looking at that, we as a culture, again, I'm going to highlight this. We, if we think that something's right, we'll be damned if someone tells me it's wrong, right? Even, and so what does that mean? What, so then that gets into what I call Mm post-truth. So we live in a post-truth era, 
where basically if my personality and my opinion sounds good enough, mm-hmm. what methods and what rubrics do we put it through to see if it has any weight or scrutiny? And that that's that's the terrifying part of our age right now, right? There was a time in our culture, right? You go back what, like we're in the twenties, like let's go back like fifty maybe sixty years, right? There was a time where if I believe something, I had I had news, I had media, I had information sources outside of myself with identified experts who would come on to tell me what is actually true, what's wrong here, right? So I believed get, experts yeah, the, the back th- in the day. The thought of the matter is, like, we, we still, like, again, were we being uh, pulled to sway here and there? Probably. Yeah, oh, we probably. We always have been. Yeah. There's always people using power and control to manipulate people. Yeah, but the idea is that because our our stream of information was much more limited, we had fewer sources to go through to challenge my own beliefs, and we had more sources that we relied upon to challenge your beliefs. In our modern digital age, where everyone, at least in our culture, has the ability to have access to the internet on my phone right now, I can Google search it, I can find the information right now, and there are a million people with their own voices online. Again, we are making a podcast right now, putting our own voices sure. online. <laughs> right. <laughs> Experts in our field. Basically, you now have more than any other period in history the ability to find the person you believe to be your expert. Your guru. And use all of their information to support the information you already believe. And again... All of their opinions. All of their opinions, right? right. And the studies have already shown this, right? We've already got the studies out there that show in psychology and, you know, in mental health, we are very biased individuals. Studies show that we will spend 70 to 80%, it's probably even higher nowadays, of our time searching for sources that prove the things we already believe or agree with the things we already believe, right? Whatever you believe, you can find someone else to support it out there and say, see, this is evidence, right? So if we're looking at this term, this sense of righteousness, right, and why I'm right and others are wrong, right, we've just gone through this media explosion where media has been devalued, right, uh, everything has been politicized. Journalism is no longer supposedly respected, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then you look at all of that, and I have access to find my community of people to believe whatever the hell I believe right now. You end up with this... Uh, kind of new societal swing where in America, again, freedom of speech, I can say whatever I want. That's my freedom. I can do whatever I want, right? We have now gotten to a culture where we We've devolved into this, screaming matches online, uh, anger of someone dare, daring to say I'm wrong, doing these evils, these wrongdoings in front of me, right? And again, that goes to the last note, right? When I'm online, I'm not at threat, to anyone to really do anything to me, more or less, right? I'm hidden behind the digital yeah. moniker, usually. Mm-hmm. Basically, it's another concept we've talked about, like mob mentality, uh, the anonymity. An- 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 yeah, yeah. The principle, like, if you give somebody a mask and have them try to do a, a, a wrongful act, they're more likely to do it because their identity is hidden, right? If you tell someone no one will ever know you're going to be part of this, studies say that most of us have a heightened percentage chance that we're actually going to do it, so... You take all of that, this real simplified, I'm right, I'm an American, I have the freedom to do all these things, you shouldn't silence me. I'm righteous, I have plenty of information to support my righteousness. And opinions. And I have a platform to yell and scream. 
Okay. Yes, and so that that is a good summary of how we found, find ourselves at this at this point where there's a lot of chaos and a lot of misinformation and a lot of people that uh, I mean, it's bizarre. If you ask somebody what's going on with the government, you're going to get 20 different answers, right? You're going to hear the government's the hero, the government's the enemy. Wait, we like the FBI this week. Oh, wait, this week we hate the FBI. They're all they're all in line with a you know conspiracy. It's all a puppet man. Right. There's it, not it, a so government. It, it just depends. And what I find is that it's just, it it just all goes back to what we want. And, mm. and I think what we've figured out is as a society, we don't know what we how we're evolving, but we're we're not sure what kind of society we want. Yeah, and therefore we're willing to use abuse mm-hmm. back to power and control yeah, to get the type of society we want. And to be honest, I think a lot of people don't want a democracy. Huh. I don't think they want popular opinion to rule. I think they want it their way. Yeah. And thus, you hear all these news stories about power and abuse on both sides, um, whether it's verbal, whether it's uh, stoactic terrorism, Mm -hmm. whereas somebody um, who's a very uh, persuasive person might talk about killing certain people. Or they should die or they should pay, Mm -hmm. just sort of making these sort of idle threats. And then somebody who is... Uh, you know, going through a hard time or easily led or has, you know, um, you know, some sort of paranoia picks up a gun and actually tries to do it. Yep. Right. So they're not responsible, although they've been saying this stuff because they've got self-restraint of living in a society, but they are causing indirect abuse. Um, for instance, uh, there was a congresswoman in Arizona, Gabby Giffords, who was shot uh, multiple times and a bunch of people died uh, because this person had in their mind that she was some sort of evil uh, person and they're convinced of it. Yeah. Um, and if you know her or if you've been around her and her husband's Mark Kelly, you know that, uh, you know, I wouldn't say she's an evil person. It sounds like she's a public servant that's been doing her best job and she wouldn't hurt a fly. Luckily, she didn't die. She's sort of somewhat recovered from this. But this is sort of what we're, we're kind of, uh, you know, it, it, it things can lead to violence. And I do think in a mature society, we listen to other viewpoints and we try to find a middle way that is best for all of us. But I think, like, going back to the melting pot, we have so many different cultural opinions here. Mm. And and our country's so large. So in, in, a, in a large city, we have different possible values or reasons we want certain things. But if I live in a rural area or an area with more cornfields, I might want different things, right? Yeah. And if I am uh, an adherent of a certain religion that is wanting to have their way, they might convince me that I need to do this thing. So there's a lot of confusion out there because I do think there's a breakdown of the grand narrative of what America is. Um, So that can lead to power and abuse. So let's talk about, Mm. actually, we did kind of talk about the abuse tactics. Um, One thing we didn't talk about a lot is guilt, using Mm. guilt. Yeah. Because we did talk about coercion and threats, intimidation, isolating a person, minimizing, denying, or blaming the other person, emotional degradation, gaslighting, um, and economic means. But let's talk about guilt. Tell me about that. Yeah. Like, again, like, guilt and shame, right? Like, if we're going on the, the our, you know, our product of right, righteousness here, too, right? Think about that, right? Like, oftentimes, again, right, a, a, someone who's going to be using my power to abuse I'm going to try to play on even maybe what you believe is right, and I'm going to use that against you, your own righteousness, to get you to do what I want, right? Now, again, we're going to use religion. I'm going to use religion at this point because it's an easy one to use. Again, we are not knocking on religion. 
I don't think. Are we knocking on religion? I don't think so. <laughs> I think we're trying to well, highlight here, some struggles. The hard part about our society mm-hmm. is if you use an example, somebody is uh, uh, often offended immediately and turns oh, yeah. off their brain. Yeah. So I would say we're not knocking religion. There's it like any any entity or any sort of concept. There's always positive things about it and negative things about it, depending on the people or organizations involved in that particular thing. And with religion, there are tons of religions around the world. Christianity, for instance, um, without Catholicism, has, uh, according to Wikipedia, somewhere around 33,000 distinct denominations around the world. So, So when we talk about religion, we're talking about, I think... An organized yeah. um, way of having spirituality. Yeah, so spirituality methodology is, of beliefs, right? right? It's 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 a grouping of beliefs or practices mm-hmm. that um, you could you know that are spiritual, but then become sort of an entity of, of its own. So let's yeah. go. So back to you. What, yeah. what about religion? I kind of I kind of hit it with that real quick as I transition into this. Right, think about the whole concept of power and abuse, control, all the things we're talking about like this. Like, let's say I'm going to talk about the concept of fire. Is fire evil? No, fire is not evil. Fire is extremely useful. Fire is a huge blessing to us. Can I burn a home down with fire? I can definitely burn a home down with fire. Nothing really inherently at face value, at least in my opinion of things, seems to lead to a level of like, oh, this is a bad thing. It's generally, what are we doing with it? How are we utilizing it? Um, Again, I can drown myself by drinking too much water. If I drink too much water, I need water to live. Water is super healthy for me. If I drink too much too fast, I drown, right? right. So I'm abusing my water, right? So I'm going to go with religion. I'm going to get back on topic at this point now, right? In a religion, right, uh, again, if somebody says, oh, yeah, I'm a follower of X faith, and, okay, we go, here are the tenets of that faith. If you're not meeting the tenets of that faith, I don't think you can classify as followers of this faith. You need to classify as something else, right? And again, that's how we define everything. It's how we group things together. Is someone a Democrat? Are they a Republican? We need to be able to look at, okay, they follow X things. We can label them as this or that. That's how we make sense of the world, right? Is it a giraffe? It's going to have these features, right? So, in religion, again, this gives a really great standard for someone to be able to cause that guilt by because they can use this standard of if you are a follower of a religion, of especially our shared religion, this is what you need to follow, and I can twist and I can use that thing to guilt you into that experience. Again, let's use a classic one. There are many religions that believe this is the role of what a wife should be, right? right. And again, that's not a—I'm not saying it's a bad or good thing, right? But we can take a piece of it and go, well, a wife has to always respect her husband. Husband always has the right last say. So if you are arguing against me, you're being a bad X, fill in the blank of your faith, right? I can use your own righteousness to guilt you into doing what I want. I can abuse my power, my knowledge of what's important to you. Again, I'm, again this is the whole point of the thing. I can only abuse if I have power. People without power cannot cause power abuse because they don't have power. They can, they can harm you in other ways, but they can't really do that power abuse cycle to you because they don't, I don't have it, right? Got to have some kind of power. Very good point. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I, get, if I, I, I guess like if, you know, I'm impoverished, I get you in the street and I beat you with a stick, we would say I have power at this point. I have a stick, right? This is an example of me abusing my power, right. which is 
my stick. <laughs> yeah, or my gun. Or my gun, right. whatever so, I have, right? Like, we, this is the concept of my power. Using right? a weapon that it could to be, extend your power. Yeah, my weapon, my knowledge of your beliefs, uh, my, my, my social media platform, right? Gender roles. Anything, right? Where I have an imbalance, I have some strength over you, I have some power, and now I'm going to use that to guilt you, to shame you, to make you feel less. Excellent. So I think we've talked enough about kind of the negative things. What about people reclaiming their own voice despite what may be happening in America or cultural shifts or politics or um, just you know, general discrimination? Sense of being abused? Yeah. Just how can someone reclaim one's voice if they've been abused and mm-hmm. how can they heal from abuse uh, situations? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like, this is a multifaceted. Point, I mean, right? right. This is not a single answer. Obviously. Yeah, like, well, let's go with that, right? Healing, right? At least in my opinion, as a therapist, right, takes many different forms. It may look similar. There are some similar paths we can take quite often, right? But your own individual healing journey is always going to look a little different, right? I, I do EMDR. I help people heal from trauma on a daily basis. Paul does EMDR. We're doing kind of the same technique quite often, right? But like what somebody's going to experience, what they're going to have to go through to heal, what that's going to look like for them is kind of a wild card every time, right, Paul? I think so. I think that uh, to reclaim one's voice, you know, therapy is obviously one way of doing it, Mm -hmm. and therapy can be quite useful because it can help you understand through psychoeducation what has been going on. It can help you have a a safe place to talk about things that you can't talk about maybe with friends or relatives, and obviously the person or entity that abused you. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the first things we have to do to heal is we have to get away from the abuse. Mm-hmm. Now, if it's a person, we've got to get help, you know, calling 911 mm-hmm. or the domestic violence hotline, which is in our notes. Obviously, that's a big step. Mm-hmm. Um, but what if it, the, uh, it is a job or a, a religion that you're in or a church or um, a family unit th- uh, that has a cycle of abuse mm-hmm. in it. Um, these can be difficult to get away from. So that's when we go into uh, boundaries and education. So one of the biggest things I think for people to escape abuse mm-hmm. um, and to be able to separate themselves so they can heal, you have to separate yourself first to an extent, is learning. Mm-hmm. Learning about boundaries, learning about the cycle of power mm-hmm. and control, learning about abuse. What is abuse? Am I being abused? Yeah. Um, learning about who you are, mm-hmm. self-reflection, journaling, um, reading books, talking to other people that have been through similar experiences, mm-hmm. whether it be online or in person. Mm-hmm. Very important to get other voices in your life. So therapy is just one of those voices, but it's there also therapy is a, a series of techniques. Mm-hmm. And a good therapist should not just chat with you every time. They should be teaching you things. They should be educating you. They should be pointing you to resources. They should be set, helping you set goals. Um, EMDR therapy, as we mentioned, is something where somebody has a traumatic event that they can clearly identify or multiple ones that they can identify that seem to cause patterns in their behavior and their emotions for years mm-hmm. or months after. And we can work on reducing that impact and so they can mm-hmm. feel um, like I have a better range of emotions and feel more behaviorally sound. Um, we can process things emotionally so that people can move through and heal. We can use ACT therapy, internal family systems, other advanced techniques to help people stop suffering mm-hmm. so much post-abuse. Because mm-hmm. there's other podcasts about this, but abuse can is a pattern and we know that from behavior, but it gets stuck in our nervous system mm-hmm. sort of as a pattern. You can see it if you 
have enough time away from the abuser and see how you act now that you're quote unquote free from the abuse. Yeah. It's still a pattern in your mind and still your nervous feel powerless, system. Still feel right. self, uh, you know, useless. It can change your uh, uh, view of the world, change your view of uh, spirituality. It can change your view of sexuality. Mm-hmm. It can distort your view of yourself. It can cause you to um, self-sabotage, use drugs and alcohol. Um, it can cause you to make really poor decisions or even reoffend on other people. Um, you know, I, since I went through pain, now I'm going to cause you pain, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, so it can do a lot of things that are not healthy. So therapy is a very good way to get help. But if you're in the situation, you obviously need uh, more support than that. And then building a support system outside of therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can get involved in, you know, if you, if you don't have economic resources, finding out how to get free access to different things that can help you. Mm-hmm. And everybody's journey is different. Uh, but what are, what are some thoughts you have around that? Yeah, so like... I'd start with like you know, kind of the first step to reclaiming my voice is recognizing that I've lost it. Right? Oh, good. Yes. And that, again, like, you know, I'm on fire. I need to put out the fire. But if I don't think I'm on fire, do I need to put out the fire? That's a good point. Right? Like, oh, I'm just, I obviously have a skin rash. I go to the doctor and the doctor screams, oh, God, you're on fire. I'm like, no, I'm not. I have a skin rash. Give me some ointment, right? Like, again, this is an extreme. I like extremes that make it easier for me to see the world and for a lot of my clients. If I'm being abused and I don't even realize that I've lost my voice, how do I start with knowing I need to reclaim my voice? Again, we've talked, you know, again, again, I'm always going to say all forms of abuse are always a negative, right? I cannot see a moment, like I talked earlier, fire is not good or evil. Abuse may be a concept that I'd say, okay, this is an evil. I'm abusing something. I'm using something in a way it shouldn't be used, right? Abuse is always negative. In that fact, again, I will highlight, again, we've talked a lot about these abusers don't realize what they're doing, right? Like, I'm not trying to give them an out, right? But they are not aware of their own pain or how it pushes them to do these things. So if I'm thinking about any concept of healing, I always have to start with, are you aware of what's happening, right? And that takes perspective, which does take getting a little bit away from the situation, if possible, even for a few hours of a week. Because oftentimes, People that are in domestically domestic abuse relationships, we can see that from the outside quite easily. Domestic mm-hmm. violence, they have no idea that this isn't a normal relationship. Yeah, their parents maybe acted that way. Um, maybe their first girlfriend or boyfriend did that way. And so you have to have the awareness. And I think that's where education comes in and educating yourself and slowing down and 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 going and asking yourself tough questions. Mm-hmm. Am I being treated nicely? Do I have autonomy? Can I leave? So that means, can I leave a job? Can I leave this church? Can I leave, uh, you know, can yeah. I leave this organization? Can will I leave this relationship? Will accept me if will, I do this? Will my family allow me to do what I want to do? Or are they holding me hostage? You yeah. know, what what happens if I want to express myself in different ways? Mm-hmm. Am I punished? So am I allowed to have a difference of opinion with the people that I live with or the people I know or whatever it might be? Go with that. Teenagers out there, you may still be punished for expressing your views and saying, Dad, fuck you. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that on this podcast. You're allowed to say it. (laughs) But the point is, right, like, again... Don't take this and run away with it and go, I can do whatever I want because no. the podcast says if you punish me, you're abusing me. No, no. that's not what we're saying. Not saying that. Wait. So so there's a difference between consequences uh-huh. and punishing in an abusive way. Yeah. So a consequence for a teenager who's escaping out of their house because, unfortunately, under and when you're under 18, abuse is a lot different. Yeah. When you're under 18, the state says you have to stay with your parents unless they're abusing you, yeah. like actually physically or sexually or abusing you or neglecting you. Yeah. 
uh, unfortunately, the state and, and most states do not consider emotional abuse in their assessment. Which is ridiculous. Which is ridiculous. However, that is kind of the prop state where, where that's kind of where our culture is at the moment. Yeah. And therefore, if you run away or steal something from your parent or steal their car or don't follow their rules, the parent can actually call the police on you and the police will bring you back. Now, if you can prove that you're being abused by calling Child Protective Services or the police or anything like that, then the state will help you become autonomous. Um, put you with a different relative or put you in a uh, group home or something where you can get help and get away from an abusive parent because this happens oftentimes. It's the same thing with elders. Elders are often dependent on Mm -hmm. people. There's an elder abuse hotline. Um, And so, yeah, you can't just do anything you want in society, obviously. But what we mean by punishment, I think, is egregious. What I was meaning is egregious abuse for expressing different viewpoints. Oftentimes, I tell parents, I'm like, listen, let your child have an opinion. Yeah. There's a difference between opinions and rules. Yeah. You may not believe that marijuana is good, mm-hmm. but don't yell at your child's opinion. Say, if you think marijuana is great, that's fine, but you can't use it here, right? Yeah. That's called a rule. That's a boundary. It's but a structure, by right? saying, if you say anything about marijuana, that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to yell at you, scream at you, take away all your Tear things. You down, tell you how you're awful you are. Yeah, I might be like, okay, that seems to be some emotional abuse. It's going to have the opposite effect anyway. Yeah. So let's talk about this real quick. Did you know that one in three... And one in four, men, one in three women, and one in four men in the United States have experienced some sort of physical abuse by an intimate partner, and that is from a study on the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence uh, website. On a typical day, on a typical day in the U.S., local domestic violence hotlines receive approximately nineteen thousand one hundred fifty-nine calls, which is about thirteen calls every minute. In twenty eighteen, domestic violence accounted for twenty percent of all violent crimes. Uh, abusers' access to firearms increases the risk of intimate partner uh, abuse or death at least fivefold. When firearms have been used uh, in the most severe abuse incidents, the risk increases 41-fold. 65% of all murder-suicides involve an intimate partner, and 96% of these victims of these crimes are female. That's pretty bad. I mean, like, I, I'll yeah. just go with it, like... I've, I've, I've got this back and forth constantly in my head. Did I know these numbers were that high? No. Is it shocking? Yes. Is it surprising? Not exactly. No, not exactly. Yeah. Because we have a lot of a, a lot of growth to do in our society. Uh, I won't get into this too much, but so I do a believe... Human race. I've, as a human race. <laughs> but I've always said in education, we're always learning facts and mm-hmm. figures and historical things and how to do this and how to do that. But there isn't really a class on emotions. <laughs> And nope. relationships. No, not really. That'd and be it'd be great. I think. Well, they've started doing some in some schools, but it seems to be an extra extracurricular, and it seems to be more schools with a lot of funding. I think that should be a basic. Oh yeah, right. Not just something teachers teach on the side. Pour into your citizens. Right. Exactly. So if we want, if we we. If we want to create a peaceful society where people know how to get along, we have to teach these skills when you're a kid, mm. um, not when you're in trouble with the law or, or in a bad relate or in a toxic relationship as yeah, a, uh, I, I will make it adult. Note. that does remind me as you said that we were originally trying to tell them how to reclaim their voice i think we oh, got yes. lost a little bit <laughs> we did yeah so reclaiming your voice well we did talk about it. you have to yeah. get away you, you gotta you notice it's happening notice it's happening get away so you're safe right and then build with any resources that you can possibly build whether it be friends that don't coerce you and abuse you Mm -hmm. whether it be organizations that 
our advertising services through nonprofit organizations or social services, therapy, counseling offices, mm-hmm. um, anyone who isn't taking advantage of you in some way. Um, certain religious organizations offer outreach. Certain mm-hmm. um, cities have programs. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to start building your resources up slowly but surely, even if you don't have any financial, because a lot of people that have been abused don't have financial resources. Yeah. So we have to be able to take advantage, and that means we have to learn how to use the internet. We need to enroll, you know, if, if you need to enroll in uh, free classes through your mm-hmm. city. Um, adult education classes are available in almost every major city. Um, there are online classes. You can learn different things on YouTube if you have access. The issue is you at least need to have some sort of uh, a digital device. If you do not, you can go to your local library, which mm-hmm. allows you to use computers and different things like that. And you can ask for people mm-hmm. to help you. There's a list of resources. We're not going to even list them all. Um, obviously, if you're in crisis, call 911. Mm-hmm. If you want to know more about domestic violence, if you're not sure if you're in a domestic violence relationship, you can call 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-7233. Or visit www.thehotline.org. That's thehotline.org. Um, you can visit the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence website, which is an acronym, ncadv.org, for mm. fact sheets. But uh, and, and generally, I mean, police officers, uh, hopefully, should know about domestic violence. So, I mean, even just calling 911 if you're not it sure. It can be a starting point. It can be a starting point, absolutely. So there are lots of ways. Um, and, you know, obviously, we're both therapists, and so we see a lot of people that have gotten out of a domestic violence situation yep. or, a, or a power and control dynamic. We see them afterwards while they're working on healing. Yeah. Uh, sometimes, though, <laughs> we have people come in and they don't realize they're in a domestic violence relationship. I, sh- I'm not, I, sh- I shouldn't laugh, but right. yes, yeah, sometimes well, the sad yeah. reality is they, they have no idea. They have no idea that they're being controlled and abused. Oftentimes because the, the, um, the, the domestic violence has not devolved into hitting, yeah. into physical violence, but... There's sexual manipulation, there's emotional abuse, yeah. there's financial abuse, there's digital abuse, and even intimate partner stalking. Stalking isn't just about strangers stalking you. Oh, yeah. I mean, if, uh, there's been stories in the news where people have been using those Apple tags, which are really helpful if you lose your phone a lot, mm-hmm. um, and putting them on uh, people's cars, mm-hmm. in women's purses, um, you know, things like that. And, or, or just... Here's here's one I was even thinking about. This falls under emotional, but I've even heard um, this one where a lot of people in relationships, let's just go with women, are afraid to have their own political or moral opinions that differ from their partners. Yeah. Because if they do, they will be punished. And I mean by punished, I mean abusively yeah. coerced. Torn down in some way. Right. And so oftentimes we get people in the counseling that have no idea that they're in that type of relationship. It's just the relationship they know. And the problem is this. We love the person. It's not like they just hit us on the first date. Mm-hmm. There was positive things that happened. And we might be dreaming or believing that someday we'll get back to that positive honeymoon again. And so we're just in it. Or if I don't have this person, I'll be nothing, right? Or I'll be homeless or I'll be whatever, Mm -hmm. right? Or, you know, I, my religion says I can't get a divorce. I can't Mm -hmm. separate Mm -hmm. or my family will disown me. There's lots of pressure on people to stay, unfortunately, in these things. So, so if you're a person out there that isn't in one of these and you say, well, why don't you just leave? Well, why don't you just, you know, 
I would say, instead of saying that to the person, say, how can I help you yeah. be safe? How that, can I help you with your journey? I think that goes well into our the third point we're kind of highlight here. You've identified you're in abuse. You're getting out of the abuse. You're seeking safety. We're in that third step where sometimes in order to just even do the second step of getting out of the abuse, I have to be building this new community, this new set of resources, tools, right? If I'm sitting around by myself, right, going, am I good enough? Can I get out? And the only other voice I have is myself. I'm going to just keep believing whatever I believe, right? That's why we come to therapists. That's why we read these things. That's why we make these podcasts that you can listen to, right? We are, you know, we building, we have to build, we have to go into community. We have to find basically others to help us start reclaiming that voice of ours. Exactly. And it can be people that you trust or people that have been through abuse. So there are support groups. For instance, the YWCA has support groups. Good group. Um, There's plenty of groups on the internet. There are meetups about this. And you'll be surprised if you're vulnerable. I mean, listen, you've already been abused. So, like... It's it's it, it seems rejecting sometimes to talk to people socially and say, hey, can you help me out with this? Or do you know anything about this? Some people are going to scoff, right? Because that's a cultural issue. They don't want to talk pull about it. Pull yourself up by they don't your want bootstraps. To hear about by the way, the pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Let me just address that for a moment. <laughs> did you know, did you know when that term first originated, and you can look this up, that was actually used as an absurdist joke about the idea of extreme individualism. <laughs> did you know that? It was actually... It was actually literally making fun of the fact that you can't pull yourself up by your bootstraps. It's actually physically impossible to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You will fall over. And and you you actually need someone, you know, to help you so so essentially this was a joke that has now been claimed as a cultural meme that that people should do it themselves and not have societal help. Anyway, it's it's it, it, it reminds me of cats. The musical? Uh, yeah, no, the actual animal, oh, the, pet, okay. the pet we have domesticated here. Um, you know, dogs are very aware of their dependence on mm-hmm. you. They will come for you. Uh, you know, they want food. They want it to affection. Um, they 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 need walks. They're dependent, and we and just like that, we're dependent on different things in society. But cats, they they are dependent on you, but they act like they're not. Mm-hmm. You know, take it or leave it. My affection. I'm going to go over here. Forth, a little back and forth. Right. A little, a little bit. And so I, I often, you know, I laugh when people say they did it themselves. <laughs> uh, you know. Again, go with that, right? This is America. If you say someone help me, you are immediately going to lose. Well, I'm going to use um, social status or is, I'm probably using it wrong. You're going to lose the clout, right? Sure. As the young people are going to tell me, right? Like you immediately are less than than you could have been, Right. Any politician who wants a shot of presidency has to be a self-made man. Right, which is impossible because you had someone raising you. You drove on roads who paved those roads. There were policemen and fire people and, and education you, right? like, and all of this sort of thing and who who grew your food and all of this. So th- we are interconnected uh, as oh, a yeah. society, and thus that is why domestic violence is such a huge issue because we're, di- we're, we're interconnected in power control dynamics because we have to figure out how to communicate and get along. But – we have to understand if you're a person in a place of privilege, and um, many people that may be listening to this podcast are, and let's say you pay taxes. Obviously, you might want to be politically active to figure out where those taxes are going. But when you say, I don't want to pay taxes, in my mind, I've lo- you've lost credibility because the taxes don't just go into a flame, you know, an incinerator. 
That's what's paying for the roads. That's what's paying for the stoplights. That's what's paying for licensure enforcement. That's what's paying for uh, education so that we don't, you know, live in that society. Now, it's not perfect, right? That's why we have politics. That's why you can get involved in your local area. But we have to remember that we are interconnected. And so if you're a person of privilege and you want to keep that privilege, you've got to give back to society in some way. Because otherwise, people aren't people who are underprivileged are not going to have any resources to do what you think might be a good thing, which is becoming a member of society. And they might be grappling over limited resources and thus resort to, quote, crime, stealing, you know, different things because they don't feel that their narrative is that they can have a place in the society. And so just like that, if you're a person in power and control, there becomes great responsibility. I'm going to go with, it might be a little stretch to say paying our taxes is the way to save I'm not saying economic that, right? crisis. I'm not saying that. I'm saying, I'm saying if you're a person with lots of money and you can pay your taxes. If you're complaining, if you're a person in privilege and power. Right. And in this example, we're using the concept of money, right? And again, we can all pay our taxes because, I mean, like, it's a percentage of what we make so we can all pay our taxes, sure. right? I go with that. If you're a person of money and you're sitting around and going, wow, I hate that homeless person on the street, blah, da, da, blah, why doesn't he get a job, blah, da, da, blah, right? Blame him, blame him. I wish I didn't see homeless people. Well, you're kind of abusing or not even really using your privilege or power because you could be funding community initiatives to get that person into jobs, get that person housing, get that person health care. So like they're not constantly like, you know, fighting their sickness and illness that keeps them from going to a job. But the point of the matter is if you have power and you're sitting around going, why isn't X changing? You're kind of misusing, maybe we could say in some cases abusing your power if you're not really using that privilege, using that power to make the change that you want to see happening. Right. Is that then what you're, you're telling just, me, Paul? Yes, exactly. Then you're just wallowing in your individualism. Why aren't more people like me? Which yeah, is you're pathetic. placing the blame on others. You Basically, you're doing the thing that the abuser does. Where it's, Correct. It's your fault that you're like this. Exactly. And that is a like very reductionist viewpoint, yeah. immature, back to the toddler. Yeah. We are all interconnected, right? Everything we do as a society, has effects. Now, it may not be as direct or obvious what those effects are. Yeah. But just as, that's why I said micro versus macro, in the micro, we see it in individual relationships. We have to evolve and learn how to communicate and to be able to share power and control. As a society, on a macro level, we have to figure out if we want nice things, we have to invest in nice things. If we want our kids to be educated at a certain level, we have to invest in education. Mm -hmm. We have to figure out ways to solve the common problems that humans face. And that is a whole other podcast. But I do think... We could go for a while on that one. Right. And I do think, though, that the power and control dynamics play out all the time. When you're a person of power, you have a great ability to enact positive change to people that don't have power. Yeah. Or... You can blame them for not having power. Talk about how special you are, how great you are, and how awesome you are for accomplishing what you did. But in my opinion, that gets old. Yeah. You're not planting trees. Great. We're. All, I'm so glad you made all this money and did all these things. In our culture, power uh, often is associated with money. Yeah. Um, that's so wonderful. Okay, now what? Do you need more money? Get more money. That's is the, that it? This American way. Right. Is that it? Or, never or stop, are you going to figure out how to... Uh, make a utilitarian society where um, you aren't afraid of, you know, 
certain things that could happen due to inequality and other issues. Hoard all the money. And then when I get bored, <laughs> shoot myself into space. Right. There you go. That's the way to do it. That's, you know, that's what dragons do in the myths. They just hoard all the gold and then sit in a cave all lonely and mad. They do not shoot themselves into space, though. No. So, so anyway, cool back, back, we went a little off topic, but I think it's okay because all these topics are connected to not only the individual relationship, but how we live. And I think that's a, it's an important concept. And not everybody's called to go into how we live in politics and fighting about the local taxes and all of that, right? Some people are called to, to help people. Uh, some people are called to, you know, just play whatever role they find and uh, the thing they love. But the main point, one of the main points is um, what happens on the micro level happens on the macro level and vice versa. So yep. we, we have power in our own relationships yep. to work on. Maybe we're not an abuser. We don't see ourselves as an abuser. But are am I using subconsciously or yeah. consciously some of these tactics against people in my lives? Yeah. Have I done these things? Yeah, right. Yeah. We all have. It's all a spectrum. Yeah, so yeah. there's some self-reflection there for all of us. I would like to hope that I am not an abuser. I would like to hope, right? Right. I would probably need a few more eyes on me to tell me whether or not I am doing that appropriately, right? But right now, you know, my wife loves me. That's I good. know she loves me. I have some power. If she's loving me, she's giving me some power because she loves me. Right. What am I going to do with that power today? That's a good point. We all have an opportunity yeah. to share it, make a positive impact, or try to control. And I think that the opposite of love is fear. Yeah. And so when we're afraid of not getting our needs met, and when we're afraid of others, and we're afraid of, of sharing, then we usually often go to trying to control yeah. and that is what leads to abuse yeah so that being said hopefully you've all enjoyed this talk uh if you are looking for counseling i'm going to talk about that in the show notes but joshua does take clients both in person on and online mm -hmm. and uh you can check out him on his website which will be in the show notes as well so i really appreciate you joining me it's been a blast And there you have it. This has been another episode of the Intentional Clinician Podcast with Paul Krause. If you're enjoying the show, please share with people you know. I would surely appreciate it. If you'd like to, please give us a rating on iTunes. It really helps get out the word about this podcast. If you are looking for an EMDR, International Association Consultant, I can now provide 20 hours needed to become EMDR International Association certified as I am an Emdria consultant. I have groups and I have individual sessions, both online and in person. You can check out details by going to my website, counselingsupervisorgr.com or healthforlifegr.com and send me a message. If you are in need of counseling, do not hesitate to make an appointment with a local counselor in your area. You can also make an appointment with the excellent clinicians in the Grand Rapids area at Health for Life Counseling and the Trauma-Informed Counseling Center of Grand Rapids by visiting www.healthforlifegr.com. The recording you just listened to consists of the personal opinions of Paul Krause and his guest, and while these are based upon literature they have read and their experience in the fields they are in, these should not be viewed as the definitive opinion on any subject. 
Listening to this podcast is not a substitute for treatment. If you are in a crisis, please dial 911 or the National Suicide Prevention Line at 1-800-273-8255, or you can just dial 988. Did you know that you could support your local bookstore by shopping at www.bookshop.org? You can order books from the comfort of your own home while supporting local brick-and-mortar businesses near you. Michigan Mental Health Counselors Association and other counseling associations are very important to keep quality counseling and therapy services available in the United States. It helps increase education, promotes best practices, and works on legislation to make sure that counselors and therapists can have a living while they're working and helping our communities. So if you're not involved, please join your local association or the National Association's American Counseling Association, Arizona Counselors Association, Michigan Mental Health Counselors Association as an example. If you want to get trained in EMDR therapy, I recommend EMDR Training Solutions. I'll have a link in the show notes. You can use the code intentional at checkout and get $100 off your first training. Until next time, I'm wishing you all a safe and peaceful week.